Yes, folks, it's uh, Thursday. It's Thanksgiving. So this is our Thanksgiving Day franchise show. I'm Fred McMurray. Uh, we kind of let Ray go to eat turkey dinner with his family and my special guest host who's already eaten our turkey dinner, I think, Holly A. Ford of our newest sponsor, Zillion Firm International. Holly, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Fred. How did you get your turkey yet? No, mine. It's it's no, not yet. Uh, after the show, I will be going and gorging myself like millions and millions and millions of other Americans have already. <laughs> <laughs> and have you had your turkey dinner? I have not. I'm waiting till the show's over because I heard that if I eat turkey, it's going to make me fall asleep. So you know, I thought I'd wait. <laughs> yeah, we don't want our guests or we don't want our, our co-host or our listeners falling asleep, at least not for now. So, yeah. All right. So non-turkey eating folks. Um, so, all right. The, Holly, what it was, yeah. I think, the greatest Thanksgiving or Turkey Day quote ever uttered. Uh, let's see. I think it would have to be if God is my witness. I As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Yes, you are. And that's the first time we got into play that. And folks, that won't be the last because I do like that clip. But we're talking franchising. But before we go into that, um, some news, some news. Uh, October, in October, we had our first 4,000 listen month. Uh, that's a pretty cool thing. And we this month we get your firm, Holly, Zarian uh, Firm International, to come on board as a sponsor. Why don't you tell us a bit about what Zarian does? Oh, great. Well, it's an honor for us to be part of this, you know, Fred, it's, uh, it's something that we've been looking at for a while. You, um, you do a great show, you have great content. And that was really what we were looking for is, uh, to, you know, be able to partner up with somebody that that really understands the, the depths of franchising. There's so many, so many nuances to it. There's so much information that needs to be had. And you are delivering it well. So we're excited about that. But what Zarian does is we, we have a strong focus on franchise resales. We also do business resales, standalones. Um, and we also assist uh, buyers that are looking for franchise opportunities or opportunities to franchise their concept. So, you know, the best way to create wealth in a business is to, uh, is to franchise that business. So, uh, we, we help a lot of those people. We do some business analysis to, to you know, kind of create exit strategi- strategies with franchise owners. And we even help, um, although my colleague Nick Neonakis um, with the franchise consulting company, we lean on him, but um, Zarian also does um, looks, looks for new franchise opportunities for some of our clients as well. So, all right. So with respect to um... – is your business franchisable? Uh, we've actually talked about that on the show, and you wrote an excellent uh, blog post on that. So, folks, if you want to get more detail on is your business franchisable, um, to see if you need to call and talk to Holly, um, take a look at her blog post on pillarsoffranchising.com uh, and read more. Uh, you said you also help people sell their franchises. How often does that happen? Yeah, we have uh, probably a couple dozen franchises right now uh, for resale. So, you know, we get inquiries really, I'd say, two to three inquiries a week. Uh, We don't take every franchise uh, that wants to resell. We want to make sure that the the business has a strong brand behind it, and we want to make sure that the the business can be uh, sustainable. That, That doesn't mean it has to be profitable. They could be even losing money if they have, um, you know, they're new into it. They haven't quite yet reached that break-even point. Those franchises, you know, they're they're still they're still saleable because if you think about it, 
they've already done the build out, they've they've done the initial marketing, they've done the hiring and training. So that's a really great opportunity for somebody coming in that can, you know, short circuit all of that process. And and then of course if that franchisee uh, maybe they didn't secure enough working capital. Maybe they got into it and they realized that really wasn't for them. That Those make really good transitions. So on the, you said you got 15 to 20 franchise opportunities. Um, we need to get those onto the Pillars of Franchising website so people can find them, Don't, shouldn't we? Oh, that's great. Yeah, we'll put together, we'll put together a little, uh, little perspective for each one of them for your clients. Sounds so you hear that folks we've now gone into being able to find franchises to buy um, why do most people want to sell well it, you know there's a lot of reasons you know most of the clients that are franchises are either doing one of two things now there's four five six reasons you know that we probably have in our list right now but the strongest reasons the first one is that they got into the concept and they they didn't like the concept. Maybe they got into it, they did it for two years, three years, and it really wasn't what they wanted, and they want to go another direction. So that that's a strong reason. That's why I think it's really important, uh, you know, for buyers to work with a franchise broker, you know, um, and that's not a plug. I mean, that's really for real because they can they can really help to um, – there's a, there's a woman, Rebecca Monet, you know. Um, she's been on the show before. Um. And uh, yes, she, uh, that's right. She has a great profile tool that um, can be utilized by buyers, and it really helps to find what franchise is the perfect fit, what their skill sets are, things they may not even be aware of. And if you can get the right mix right from the start, you know, that would definitely alleviate some of that reason for transition. And of course, the second reason is, is just retirement. You know, it's time to move on. They want to move into something else or they're just ready to, to transition into retirement. So, so all right. Oh, a question for you. You may not know the answer. Um, how many people per year decide they want to retire and leave their franchise, sell their franchise? Because I know Ray has actually oh, been planning. <laughs> I know Ray has been planning, you know, his uh, full-time engagement with pillars of franchising um, and driving the mobile broadcasting studio one um, with mm-hmm. pillar and franchising our friendly neighborhood dogs. Oh, we have to get dog. Um, we have to get dog barking um, in the background. Blue that. Oh, <laughs> sorry folks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, so um, actually uh, I'll give you some time to think about that and we'll take a word from uh, first word for our sponsor, but so my question is: is uh, how many people uh, don't sell their or they either sell their franchise or they uh, leave it to their kids or family or somebody like that? How many? Any idea how many um, people per year sell their franchises uh, for retirement? And now I want to remind okay. our listeners. Um, this is Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, and if you're listening, you can call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Thanks to the Link Local Network for broadcasting us. You can find all our shows at www.pillarsoffranchising.com. And now a word from one of our awesome sponsors. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. And thanks, Nick. Uh, We'll be broadcasting also next year from some of the uh, Great American Franchise Expos. More on that later. 
And because I want to play it again, I'm going to. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I saw that when it was live. Being a Cincinnati native, you know that that it rings true here. That's that's uh, that's all fun. (laughs) I I remember I remember that Um, watching it the first time it aired and just just uh, cackling on that one. I love that line. So. Again, folks, happy Thanksgiving to all. Uh, you've got Fred, Ray's off eating turkey right now, and, and Holly A. Ford of Zarian Firm International and I are talking. So, Holly, any idea on the number yeah. of people who self... <laughs> Tell me, Wallace. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll put it in a different... Um, I can't give you an exact number, at least not this quickly. I have to do a little bit of research, but I can give you some idea... Um, a mature franchise, okay, so th- this means a franchise that's in, you know, it, at the stage of maturity, and that's, you know, probably a great topic for another um, show, is the phases of a franchise's maturity. But in a fr- mature franchise, about 7 to 10% of their network will um, be up for sale at any one time. And those, you know, reasons obviously can be retiring, relocating, personal issues, you know, things that we talked about. Um, but usually more than 50% of those would be the retire, um, the retirees. So um, not a very specific number, but to know that that is a very normal thing to happen in, is, is retirement. I mean, if you think about it, when you buy anything, you know, as far as a business goes or an investment or stock investment, you're hoping for a return on that investment. And, and yes, you're going to get the monetary year after year, but, but you know, really your, your strongest you know, play is when you retire. So if you've built up a strong company with, you know, a great list of customers, you know, depending on the industry, of course, um, or, you know, just strong growth and year after year profitability, that transition is going to be very nice. You're going to get a high multiplier and you'll be able to sell that business and not only recoup initial investments, but much more for your time and effort and the success that you've had with the business. All right, so I want to see if I can drill this down into uh, a at least a formula. Um, did I understand you to say the ma- the uh, mature phase, so phase four, phase five, um, mm-hmm. which is phase four kicks in at how many franchises? Mm, it's over a hundred, but it depends. Right. I was thinking phase looking at. So I remember taught when, uh, as you cited, Rebecca Monet's Oracle Profiles, uh, up mm-hmm. phase three was up to about 225, 250, if, if I remember right. Um, oh, okay. That's, that's okay. Um, some have six phases and some have three stages and some have four. So we'll go on, on those, what, you're, what you're basing on. That's fine. So you're saying for franchisors above 250, um, and I'm, not, to- I'm actually not talking about a number. When I talk about the maturity and the three stages of a franchise, um, you know, or the six phases, depending again what you're looking at, what, what the criterion is is more than the number of franchisees. A, a lot of it has to do with the maturity of the brand. Okay, so so you're looking at attrition rates. In other words. Um, the turnover. Okay, so how you know how many people um, are terminated or or relinquish their franchise or go bankrupt? So so a mature franchise, that attrition rate will be lower. The um, the growth will be sustainable year after year, of course. And then and then the branding, the number, the dollar, the revenue for the for the franchise, the profile of the franchise will have increased year over year. So. And, and so maturity also comes with the time because, again, remember we talked about that two- to four-year mark, um, a very volatile time because, again, um, that's the time when these franchisees that have started are either going to maybe fail or perhaps just, um, you know, you'll be able to fine-tune the ones that are more successful than others at that time. 
So really looking at a franchise that's in the six-year and older mark is the criterion that I'm talking about for a mature franchise, and then a low attrition rate and, and increased profitability year over year. Okay, but you said 7 to 10% turnover was the first number. So even if I just take the, take the number of franchisees in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and take the high number, I come up with about 74,529 franchises that would be in potential yeah. turnover. <laughs> higher than I thought. <laughs> that's so, a mature phase, though, right? Well, that's, that's total, but even that. So even if you cut that in half, mm-hmm. now you're at about 37,000, 40,000 um, that would potentially be turning over per year. That would mean it would be a good place to help people sell their franchise, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and the retiring segment of franchises is a valuable segment because obviously – those retiring have built their business. They've had year-over-year year success. You know, they're not they're not in it two to three years. They've already they've already built their own personal identity and brand. So that transition is is going to be much more um, valuable to the buyer as well. So, something that we missed. What's the Thanksgiving weather where you are? <laughs> Well, right now um, we're hitting about 5.15, so it's getting dark here in Cincinnati already, which is not fun. Uh, But we did have a nice sunny day. It was beautiful, about 40 degrees. And with the leaves falling, you know, we've got a lot more sunlight coming in, so we can enjoy that. But still that that little rustic cold feel, you know, you can smell the the food cooking. it's, It's a really good feeling here. What about you? Oh, for us, it's it's just um, we had rain last night. Everyone's really happy because I don't know things won't be nearly as brown uh, here. Um, but the sun is just—it's I'm looking out at the Pacific, and it you know it's just it's awesome. I it just is you've got patch, you've got line or swaths of blue, and then there's just uh, part of it's like lit up like a well, a huge sun is shining on it, so I, mm, it's blinding if you're looking at it too long. <laughs> uh, it might be worth it. That <laughs> sounds gorgeous. So yeah, I, I snuck up to the room where I could get enough sunlight just to have a little bit peak more before it set because we don't get as much sun, you know, obviously at this time of year. So you are very spoiled. <laughs> Yeah, I've been told that. Um, all right, so we've talked about this before, so I have a question for you. I saw in, uh, I think it was bizjournals.com, that you can buy a steak and shake store for only ten grand For your franchise fee. Well, okay, so that means that's like just your um, – I got to believe that there's got to be some more to it than that. Um, you got to, I mean, you can't get that. Uh, you can't, you got to buy the yeah, land, the average, don't you? Yeah. The, the average cost of opening a stick and shake is 650,000 or more. So um, just over 650,000 is the average cost to do it. So there, what, what you're probably seeing is, you know, okay, here's your franchise fee. Now you've got to do the build out and, and all of the rest and all the um, leasehold improvements, et cetera. Um, so that's interesting. Um, now in the resale, you're not going to obviously have to pay those build out and leasehold improvements and all the rest. So that's um, the value of the resale. Okay. So, Somebody's looking at that going, wow, I can do this for only 10 grand. No, it's 10 grand plus another six figures. <laughs> right. But, you know, there, there is, so if you look at, if you look at a, at a food franchise, so let's break it down. You know, your average food franchise can build out for um, a restaurant. You know, you're looking at about 400,000. Okay. Per, for a franchise. And this is just, you know, there are different, ranges in there, but for 400000 you're pretty safe. So the SBA will finance 
um, you know, with a 10% down, certain, some of the partners that, that I work with will finance, you know, 90% of that. So if you can have a 10% cash injection of $40,000, you can get an SBA loan and open up this restaurant, you know, again, with $400,000 uh, total loan. Um, so that's, you know, that's pretty low. And a lot of people have great, you know, IRAs that they can roll that over into a business if they do a Rob obviously roll over, um, they're able to, to put that money directly from their retirement into the business without it being taxed. So there's, uh, there's a lot of value to that. So if you said, hey, I can open a, a steak and shake for $65,000 with a 10% down, you know, that's not bad, huh? <laughs> that's not bad, but, but um, Robert Brooks from uh, our last week's show would, would tell you to go, we need to go private equity. So with that, with that we're gonna. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll we'll let them do that too. <laughs> and we 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 can remember, folks. If you need to talk to Robert, give us a call. We'll introduce you. All right. So we want to take a mm-hmm. station identification and thank the Lincoln Local Network. Remind people that you can call in with a question three two three five eight zero five seven five five. That's three two three five eight zero. Five seven five five. You can find us on PillarsOfFranchising.com or www.PillarsOfFranchising.com. And now a word from another one of our wonderful sponsors. Hey, franchise owners. Does the marketing that corporate provides for your franchise go far enough? Do you struggle to get local clients to call or come through your door? At Mediavine Marketing, we love working with franchises like yours to personalize and localize your marketing efforts through social media sites like Facebook or Instagram, in emails to your current and past customers, with Facebook or Google ads, and whiteboard animation videos. Contact Mediavine Marketing today at 805-265-5440 or go to mediavinemarketing.com. That's 805-265-5440. Mediavine Marketing. We know franchises and we want to help yours grow. So we're back, and again, because I can play, <sighs> because I can't play this, I'm going to play this because actually it cracks me up. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> Uh, so those that don't know that show, which everybody is, the WKRP in Cincinnati, it's a famous episode where uh, Les Nessman uh, was doing a little marketing ploy and um, he dropped turkeys. He thought, you know, that would be a great, <laughs> a great marketing for the Thanksgiving. <laughs> One of the truly greatest lines in television history, at least on Thanksgiving Day history. So, talking about birds <laughs> and franchises, um, one last, uh, one kind of last question. I've seen in the the media that Chick Fil A restaurants are, or franchises are nearly impossible to open. Any thoughts on why? Yeah, Chick Fil A, they made their franchise more exclusive. Um, it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, everybody has the option to, you know, do what they would like to do. They have a very stringent um, criterion. And, uh, you know, again, it is their franchise. They can do it any way they want. Um, but, you know, they talk about there's um, some certain things that happen compared to other food chains. Um that you know, invest hundreds of thousands of dollars. It is it's not as much of an investment. They are just very selective about you know their owners. Uh, have you ever seen the the list that they they have? No. Because they they only pay a ten thousand dollar fee to be granted the rights necessary to operate a, a franchise Chick Fil A. So the operator's fee is only ten thousand, which you know in other franchises can can be hundreds of thousands. You know to do that. Um, and, and when they're approved, um, you know, this is, it's, it's really a big deal. It's, um, you know, they, they are, they're very profitable. They're considered, um, you know, one of the best run companies, you know, as far as food chains go. But, uh, again, 
they have the right. It's their franchise. They can determine how they want um, the qualifications of the franchise, the high net worth. Um, you know, I, I believe that there's a spiritual component in there as well. Spiritual components in franchising. Mm-hmm. No, that's a different topic. Okay, so I'll let you get off to get your topic. So then my last question is, is so next, on, on next week's uh, Holly segment, what will you be talking about? Any idea? Well, I have a lot of different ideas because right now there's a lot of hot topics, I think, going on in franchising. So um, but but one of them that I thought was a very important thing right now is understanding um, ROI. So we're going to call the episode Futures Bet, um, and that's the de- deconstruction of the ROI. So what is a return on investment? Uh, how long does it should it take to get that return, and how do you calculate that? You know, um, it's it's not quite as simple and straightforward as you think. There's a little more to it, and and I'd love to you know share with. Uh, your listeners of how to look for that ROI and how, you know, how to select franchises that will be able to deliver that in an appropriate period of time. Okay. So what was that title? We're calling it the futures bet. Are you you a gambler, Fred? Well, no, (laughs) uh, only for uh, entertainment or maybe just with my life. (laughs) But you said futures bet, the deconstruction of ROI. The ROI. There you go. That's wow. it. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that sounds simple about that one. <laughs> we'll all, we'll all be... I think it's important. I think it's one of the most important topics because you know I have people come to me and they want to buy a franchise resale, right? And and we're looking at numbers and we're trying to figure out what the best uh, what the best price is, et cetera. And we look at it and they're you know, and they don't understand some of, not everyone, obviously there's very, very astute buyers, but it's, some people don't understand that the reason we have a multiplier of three to, you know, that's put on your your work, you know, your cash flow, your um, EBITDA, depending on, you know, the size of the business, that multiplier, that's really saying that in three years, you expect to be able to pay that off. Because if you think about it, if your cash flow per year is, say, 300000 and you sell the business for 900000 plus assets, right, um, aside from the assets, which you can depreciate, that you should be able to um, get the return on investment in three years. And that's, that's a good ROI. I'm still working on the de- deconstruction of the ROI, but more <laughs> next week. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, Fred, you know, my Midwest boringness, there is a buck outside the window I'm looking out right now, about eight feet with um, huge antlers, and I am in a neighborhood. So, you know, you got to love you gotta love the Midwest, right? <laughs> yes, I do, um, and, and I have many reasons to go back there. I'm just not nearly as fond of it in winter. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, now folks, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have the Michael Silva Nash, uh, VP of uh, Molly Mead uh, Northwest Art. Sorry, uh, Molly Mead um, Arkansas. So Ray and I were actually talking to Michael earlier, and this is a, a phenomenal interview because uh, this is. Uh, his, he and his family's story is the quintessential um, American uh, story, uh, coming in as immigrants and, and working hard and, and doing the right things. And uh, so let's take it away, myself and Ray. So, Ray, who's our guest for today? Well, we have Michael Silva Nash. And Michael is the, uh, what's your title? Executive Vice President. Executive Vice President of the uh, local Molly Maid. And I, I think that uh, Michael has a fascinating story. His family has a fascinating story about the success of franchising. And Michael, can you kind of... Wait, 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 Ray. 
Ray, you yeah. said of the local, you said of the local franchise, and you haven't told our our listeners yet what the local franchise is. Where are you at this point? We are in the Molly Made office of Little Rock, Arkansas, yes. and it's located in North Little Rock. Yes, North Little Rock. Yeah. So is that a separate Ooh. city? It is. It is, but we service the entire metro. The entire Little Rock area. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yes, that's where we're at. Thank you for, for barging in there and correcting me. <laughs> <laughs> Always willing to help, as our listeners know. Go ahead, right now. Uh, I, I think first uh, the uh, the Nashes have won an award recently, and uh, I think it, it'd be appropriate for Michael to explain a little bit about that award that he won, uh, and that's from the Dwyer Group. Yes, the Dwyer Group. Yes, and and uh, it, it uh, kind of sets an example of uh, uh, who they are. And then I'm going to ask uh, Michael a little bit about uh, the history of the company. So, Michael, what, what award was that that you won? That was the uh, the franchise of the year for the Molly Made brand under Dwyer. And under Dwyer, which is a, a fairly prestigious award for a Dwyer group. And, uh, uh, you know, there was a, a lot to do uh, concerning that. And I'm sure that that uh, award is uh, greatly appreciated because I know there's been a lot of hard work put in by uh, all, all of your family regarding that. So can you fill us in a little bit about the history of your company and uh, uh, how it started out? And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Of course. So um, a long a long time ago, uh, my family moved, my, my dad and my mom, just we lived in Mexico. Um, with, uh, primarily Spanish as our first language. I was about seven, eight years old. Um, and I think... Uh, my parents just didn't see a lot of success or opportunities to grow as people um, in their careers and, um, and definitely not for their children. Um, and so they decided that if they wanted to get ahead, something had to change um, and, we couldn't, and we couldn't keep up with the status quo. Um, opportunity just wasn't there, unfortunately. Um, and so we moved to the United States and, and particularly to Arkansas. Um, when we had some friends that would be able to help us um, and, and, su- and support us while we're trying to get our, our feet on the ground um, and, and just get going. Um, so my mom actually, again, it was those days where uh, my, my dad wanted my mom to take care of, take, take care of the kids. Um, wasn't possible, and he, and he kind of said, he said, Becky, we got to look for your job. Um, and she found a job as a, as a home service professional, as a maid at, at Molly Maid. Um, here in um, in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, and they, they hired her on the spot, and she got to work. Um, and she and she was just thankful that she had a job. She, as a when I was a little kid, she actually said, Michael, one day I'm going to take you to Disney World. We're going to have you know this going to be our goal. But for now, I got to work. And I said, so I knew I knew mom had to work. I knew mom, I know I had to take care of my siblings and, and get ahead. It was the days where you know you walked yourself to the bus stop and and you got home and um, and, you, and, you, and you did what you had to do for your parents to, to have that full-time job, both of them. Um, and, we, and, and that's what we did for, for a long time. Uh, my mom got promoted to office manager, uh, and a few short years after that, uh, the, the owners decided to, to leave the business and, and move to Florida, um, and, and they sold the franchise to her. Um, and so she went from, let's say, in a, in a sense from rags to riches in a way, Mm-hmm. Um, and, but but it's been a, it's been a lot of hard work, um, and from someone that doesn't have um, English as a second language, uh, her education is limited to what she had in Mexico in high school, um, no university uh, or college experience uh, or education behind the business. Um, we were thankful that I think one of your previous um, uh, visitors here on our show, um, Harry Young, was the president at Molly at that time. Saw, he knew that she didn't have what some other franchisees bring along, but she had the grit, she had the, the work ethic, and he signed her franchise agreement uh, in 2005. Um, and since, we've become the second largest small and made office in the country, um, essentially quadrupling, or if not more, the, the revenue that we had. What we used to do in a week, um, we now get done by 3 p.m. every day. 
Um, and, and, that's, and that's a testament to her hard work and, and the family being behind her, of course, every step along the way. Absolutely. So, and, and, go ahead. So you, you that really is a as you're saying that that really is a rags to riches. I mean, uh, wow, that's like the Andrew Carnegie story almost. You know, that's awesome. Second largest. Yep. Yep. Only Harry's bigger. Oh, that means we just painted a target on his back, didn't we? that's a problem where you always have a target on your back but that's sorry and but that's pretty awesome so you're the second largest only behind Harry and yet Harry Young for those of our listeners who um, weren't able to catch that episode it was a great episode you can listen to it at the www.pillarsoffranchising.com website you like the way I snuck that in there, right? Um, and yeah. uh, so Harry's, however, in three or three states right now, but you're only in Little Rock? We're, yes, we're, we own the mall I made of Little Rock here in, in central Arkansas. So we own the territory that, um, that is basically all of the metro Little Rock area. Um, and last April, April 2017, uh, we acquired the mall I made of northwest Arkansas. Um, and so now we also have um, the Bentonville area, which is um, the home office for Walmart. That's where uh-huh. the home office is based out of. And, uh, and, and now we have those two territories that we run on a, on a day-to-day basis and, um, and keep those going. Um, but we're not quite in three states, but maybe someday, someday down the line. Maybe that's what we have to do. So do you also have the, I think it's the Murfreesboro area? Um, no, not, not at the moment. I think this is where it's south of us. Right. So have you ever been there? Sorry, this is kind of a topic, but I'm always curious. Have you gone to the Diamond Mind? Yes, yes. We did that a lot as, a, as kids. That was uh, mom's way of getting the house all to herself. <laughs> uh, she was, I never understood, never really quite understood why she was so excited to pack lunch for us and get all the, the coolers ready and the drinks and send dad and the kids away. Um, but I think now, growing up, I, I understand uh, what, how it feels to have a house to yourself for a couple hours. Amen to that. So, how many diamonds did you find? Uh, obviously, no diamonds. Uh, okay, not, I don't feel as bad. Um, but but that family time was was good enough. Mm-hmm. Good memories. I spent a day digging in the dirt there. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Said yeah. Got, got yeah. Got dirty. Washed washed out our pants. Every every couple hours after we dug up enough, thinking we might have something, but but you know, but the whole experience is really neat down there with the diamond crater. It's one of those mm-hmm. things that you you don't see anywhere else in the rest of the world. We can have just have a diamond crater to go in and and dig through, and, and just the history of how those are created. Now. And we even have a diamond that's actually in in Washington D.C. and one of the Smithsonian, I think the National um, Natural History Museum. Um, I think it's where it's at right now. Um, so, it's, it's, Ray, you need to go to Murfreesboro on your way down and stop in and uh, dig for diamonds for a day. So, back to franchising now, right, Ray? Right. So, I was wondering, you know, I I, I think right now I have a, a son in the business, and I'm, I'm kind of, uh, before the show, Michael and I were talking a little bit, and so I asked Michael, what's it like growing up in the business it's interesting uh, because at first you come, you, you start as the as the laundry guy, you know, put, put, putting just clean rags into into bags and getting things ready for the teams, and you know, just being there to open the door and, and running back and forth. We played a, a lot of games um, in, our, in our old office and just watched TV during the, especially the summer days. You know, everything was around the business when you have a family business. That you yeah. know, it's the weekend you were at the office. <laughs> Uh, the the week afternoons after school you're at the office summer days you were at the office everything was being at the office um, and so that that, that was always uh, interesting experience that I don't think a lot of kids get to grow up with but then you, but really the interesting part is watching your family work you know learning that work ethic learning that what it takes to earn a dollar you know from, mm-hmm. from a real young age I knew gosh if, if that's how much that it costs you know if it costs Back in the day, when, when wages were, were, I guess, lower than what they are now, you, know, you think, gosh, that's how many hours it takes. You have to work how many hours to buy that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to work that many hours to buy that. And you really see um, the ups and downs of the business, the struggles, the working until late to get get it done, to you know, try and get payroll done and, and things like that. A lot of things that um, I don't think a lot of young Americans are, are fortunate enough to see. That's true. That's very true. I know your parents have a very strong work ethic, and obviously that was uh, inculcated into you, and, and that helps with the success. So you have essentially – uh, are your parents still very much involved in the business, or are you running it? Oh no, we're we're all 100% hands in, mm-hmm. all, all hands on deck type of situation. You know, mm-hmm. everyone does what they do, and we all work on our strengths and play off each other's strengths and mm-hmm. um, we help each other with the areas that we might not be so so helpful. Um, my dad does the sales; he does the estimates. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes out and does a, a meets with customers and drives them pricing and, and brings new clients on board. My mom handles more of the operational side of administration um, with payroll and taxes and um, the, the books. Key, I'm keeping up with the books. And then a lot with the actual um, day-to-day. Um, we have office staff that helps with that, but she's very much involved with the way she wants the, the office run. Um, it's a very tight shift around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and she works with the schedule and the teams. And I handle more of a little bit more administrative. Um, I'm still a lot of day-to-day. Uh, no one here is. Yeah, it's scared to answer the phone. We, you know, if that if the phone's ringing, we better answer it. Um, <laughs> but I handle more of the marketing, the advertising, um, a lot of the long-term strategy, hiring, legal, um, those type of things that the business also needs to to keep going. So Michael said the M word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ray. Uh, it was about what I was going to say. Ooh, he spelled, said the F word. <laughs> say the magic word and the duck comes down. You said the marketing word. Yeah. So, yeah. what do you find, and since, since uh, as our listeners know, I'm the marketing guy of the, the show. So, what do you find, especially with multiple territories, like that, what do you find is the most difficult part of uh, doing marketing? The most difficult thing about marketing between the two different territories is realizing and coming to grips that what works in one market does not work in the other. And it's not ding, 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 ding. Um, it does not it's not confined, you know, not what works in this part of Arkansas works in that part. It it just it's and sometimes it's even different cities things work differently, um, and, I, and and you have to give things a try, um, and I think for a lot of people, it was difficult for us, and for me, while I learned um, more about marketing, was you have to give things a shot to work. You, you can't just turn it on and turn it off and expect for it to work overnight. Um, you really have, and it, and it takes an investment, um, and, it, and it takes patience, um, and it takes cracking. You have to, you have to be, you have to measure to, to know what if it's getting you results or not, and that's and and that's the only way to know. But you have to give things a try, and you have to realize that what may, what what may work in one office definitely does not work in another sometimes. Um, and I find that most interesting. So we're going to use that. I'm going to we're going to cut that uh, piece out of the show um, and use it as the commercial ad later because <laughs> advertising. You, Yes, because you just hit everything that I've been saying for probably as long as Ray's known me. It's the localization and personalization, understanding your markets and your culture. Ooh, Ray, you hit a good one to say he said the M word. Yes. <laughs> so but then, I, I, what do you find? What do you find is the biggest issue you face um, going forward on growth? I, that's an interesting question because um, our our this Little Rock office was actually known, I feel, by 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 the system, by the whole Molly Maid system, was known for um, its rapid growth um, and continuous year after year. Um, it was up there, and now we have actually found that we've traded places with our Northwest Arkansas office, uh, which is now leading the rest of the system in growth at, at this moment. Um, and and this office is not doing that anymore. And I think uh, it's you you have to reevaluate your marketing. Um, you have to reevaluate your operations. You the way you know the way you operate it as a smaller business doesn't work as a larger business. 
uh, and if you can't continue it as you become larger, uh, then it may be something that you maybe you shouldn't do to begin with, or or you have to find a way, have plan it, plan to phase it out at some point. Um, and I and I think it just takes. Uh, my mentor one time once once told me, you can't get there how you got here. You have to change up the strategy. You have to change up the game, and you have to stay ahead because your competition will catch up to you. Uh, and the only way to survive is, is to continue to change. I think uh, I heard someone say. I think Benjamin Franklin said that when you're when, when you're you're finished changing, you're finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I think that rings true for a lot of businesses. And we forget, and we get complacent, we're just caught up in a lot of the day-to-day mm-hmm. stuff. So when you're finished changing, you're finished growing. Ooh, I like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think better. I think what he says is when you're finished changing, you're finished. You're finished. <laughs> you don't need to add anything else onto that. You, okay. you are finished. I'm even better with that. We'll do a meme of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, another saying that has been familiar to few people who've been laid off is, "Who moved my cheese?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody who's ever read that book. So, but that. Phrase is much uh, stronger in use in, in Wisconsin. Can you say that again? I said that phrase is much more in use in Wisconsin. Oh yeah, Cheeseland. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, not picking it up today, folks. <laughs> so, <laughs> what would you tell our listeners about? Franchising the ones that are because we actually have a fair large fairly large demographic of uh, people that younger folks that are interested in becoming a franchisee. What would you tell them about becoming a franchisee? That, that's a great question. Um, the the most important part about being a franchisee, I feel, and when you look at franchises that are successful versus ones that are not successful, is when you're buying a franchise, you're buying a system, you're buying a way things work. Um, and you have to be completely sold on that. If you don't believe on the way that that business operates, when you go to Discovery Day and you just see that, that things aren't, you just you just can't do it that way, then you need to start up your own business. If you're going to start up a franchise, you really have to work with the system. You have to do what the system is proven to do um, and follow the system through and through. You know, if, if you're for us, you know, we have to have, Logoed vehicles. We have to have uniforms. We have to have um, this and that. And 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 if that's what the system says you do, then that's what you do. And that's what we find that the most successful businesses do. They follow the system. The ones that doubt the system and don't follow the system are always the ones that are struggling in the end. Uh, and so I think if you're going to enter franchising, you have you have to understand that, and you have to. And that's essentially what you're buying. You know, you're not buying. You know, to have the employees or the vehicle or the building, I guess it depends on, on, the, on the franchise, but, but, but for the most part, you're buying the way they, they do, uh, they do their, their run their businesses and their operations, and, and you really have to be sold, um, and, you, and you really have to go in uh, do, doing the way that it's structured. Of course, with some personalization and for, for, your, for, for, your, for your market and, and for your, the culture um, in your area, but... Uh, the majority should be, you know, every most locations should operate the same. Hmm. So, Ray, we're running out of time. What's your questions for Michael? Well, I, I think one of the things I see here and one of the things I need to add to uh, the success ratio is the fact that uh, it helps tremendously if you're passionate about what you're doing. If you're passionate about the people around you and, and your business. And, and that's what I see here at, at, the, uh, at this franchise. They're, everyone here is very passionate about what they do. And uh, one of the things I I noticed – are you still there? Well, yes, we're still here. Oh, okay. I, 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 sorry, I got another phone call, <laughs> which I didn't answer. One of the things I noticed here is that, you know, like I say, everyone is passionate, and I think that – you, you'll find that the most successful uh, franchises, no matter what it is, that uh, if you're passionate about being successful and, and the people around you, you will be successful. It's, it, it, it just it's, goes hand in hand. And Michael, do you have any last words for our listeners? Yes. Um, 
I once worked under a congressman, and we were doing we were doing his reelection campaign, and we were, you know, it's the, the, the time of year where we were doing parade after parade after parade, and I got real tired, and I, and I looked at him, and I, and I said, Tim, how do you do this? And he said, look, winners do the work that losers won't. Uh, and I think that's true um, in business. I think a lot of us understand that. Um, and, you, and you really, in order to, you know, to be a winner, you, you have to do the work and you have to care about what you're doing. You have to care about the people that you work with. And you really have to care about your customers. You have to care that, that they're happy um, and, they, and that they enjoy doing business with you um, and that you enjoy the business that you're in. Um, and so I think for us that, that rings true for everyone here. We have a big sign that, that, that says just that. And everyone knows that if we, if we want to get ahead, we have, we have, there's no other way than just doing it by a true work. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you uh, being here uh, at this interview, and it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And I can say the same thing. Uh, we want to thank you for being on the Pillars of Franchising, where you can listen to all these episodes on demand at www.pillarsoffranchising.com. Thank you to Michael Silva Nash, Chief Operating Officer of Nash Organization, Inc. And on to our next guest. Well, Fred, that wasn't our, actually, uh, wasn't, we don't have another guest, but we want to thank Holly A. Ford of Zarian Firm International. Um, Holly, any last Thanksgiving um, advice for our listeners? Just one thing. Don't drop your turkeys out of a helicopter because they don't fly. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. So, folks, <laughs> on that note, we'll say happy Thanksgiving. Stay away from falling turkeys. Don't eat too much and have a really, really, really rockin' Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week. Ray will be back and have, remember, you don't have to keep working for somebody else. You can work for yourself. And this is the show that'll help you get there. Pillars of Franchising, where we care about